The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, 11 a.m. in the Suez Canal, and here's your top five at five stocks looking to build on Thursday's turnaround with the Dow and S&P snapping two-day losing streaks. Future looking for more solid gains on a Friday. That situation in the Suez going from bad to worse. Officials saying it may now take weeks to free the ship, freezing up billions in daily trade oil prices on the rise. Anger high on the hill, tensions flaring in the latest congressional hearing on social media. Lawmakers grilling CEOs on misinformation and outright lies pushed to the people on their platforms. President Biden now pushing for states to get 200 million doses into the arms of Americans in his first 100 days as cases start to pop again in some states. And Warren Buffett's Berkshire stepping in with a plan to try to help Texas with its power problems following that deadly winter blackout. It is Friday, March 26, 2021, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Happy Friday. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us here to end out your trading week. Let's get right to the markets and your money and how it's all looking to end the week. And futures are looking pretty good right now. We are seeing stock futures higher across the board. Dow futures up 118. All this follows a pretty nice turnaround for stocks late day yesterday. They opened week. They were down for much of the morning around 11 a.m., the markets all started to bottom out. Buyers came in, and we ended up higher across the board. Not a lot, but we were higher, and some investors taking solace in that turnaround. Right now, the Dow and S&P are on pace for their second, excuse me, down week in a row, but could potentially eke out a win, depending on how much, if at all, we gain this week or today. NASDAQ down much more amid that rotation out of growth names. It's got a ways to go, but still, hey, it's a Friday. It's a street of dreams. You never know what can happen. Turning out of bonds, which have been the driver of at least technology stocks lately, the benchmark 10-year yield not moving a lot. It's sitting at 1.66%. Around the world, solid gains across the board in Asia to close out their trading week. And look at Japan. You go, Japan. Continuing their stellar run, the Nikkei 225 up once again, 1.5%, now up 30% this year. Who'd have thunk it? And Europe also higher across the board. Germany's Chancellor Angela Merkel saying she made a mistake in ordering a new Easter lockdown there. Even as cases rise, public appetite for another shutdown simply not there. We are seeing gains across the board. A lot of look at that. The entire of Europe and the UK is in the green. All right, now to that latest face-off between social media CEOs and Congress, where it got a bit hot on the hill yesterday. In a marathon session that often turned testy about how sharing sites are often sharing a lot of stuff that is dangerously untrue, 
Bertha Coombs has more on that and some of this morning's other top headlines. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Brian. The heads of Facebook, Twitter and Google going before the House Energy and Commerce Committees. Lawmakers grilling the CEOs over misinformation on their platforms. It was the first hearing since the January 6th Capitol riot and widespread rollout of the COVID vaccine. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg says while big platforms should be more transparent about how they deal with content that breaks the law, private companies shouldn't be, quote, the arbiters of truth. I don't think anyone wants a world where you can only say things that private companies judge to be true, where every text message, email, video, and post has to be fact-checked before you hit send. But at the same time, we also don't want misinformation to spread that undermines confidence in vaccines, stops people from voting, or causes other harms. The Federal Reserve says banks will have to wait until June 30th to accelerate dividends and buybacks for shareholders. The Fed announcing yesterday the ability to restart those programs will hinge on whether the banks pass the current round of stress tests. Some of the biggest financial firms have been limited on dividends and buybacks for the last year as a precautionary measure during the pandemic. And Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway is offering to step in and help Texas with its energy system following those deadly blackouts there last month. The company is proposing a plan to Texas lawmakers to spend $8.3 billion to build power plants that would run during electricity emergencies. The head of Berkshire's energy infrastructure says it could build 10 large natural gas plants that would not otherwise compete in the state's power market. Brian, you know, eight point something billion sounds like Chump change now that we've been talking about trillions of dollars in legislation. Yeah. Sounds like kind of the home generators many of our viewers might have at home. Buffett proposing to kind of do the same. We'll build power plants only as a backup to the existing power plants. But I guess when the energy capital, Bertha, runs out of energy, you have to look for novel solutions. Yeah, we all need that energy. Obviously, we see how our infrastructure is just not prepared in times like that. Yeah, and it certainly was not there. Bertha Coombs, we'll see in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, so we are just getting started. A lot to do on this busy Friday. And when we come back, the latest on the vaccine rollout in America as one major U.S. company ramps up efforts to get its own employees inoculated. We'll tell you who. Plus, celebrity chef David Burke is here on not only reopening his restaurants, but also launching four new ones during the last year's lockdown. Why he is doubling down. And happy Friday. Your exclusive insider buying segment is back, and we've got a two-for-one special on the top stocks getting bought by their own top execs and some big names this week. A very busy hour still ahead. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Dow Futures up 117. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning. Well, in his first press conference as president, Biden's setting a new goal for the vaccine rollout in America. He now wants the states to get 200 million shots into arms by the end of April. And though a doubling from his previous goal at the current rate of two and a half million shots per day, it is one that should be fairly easy for the states to hit as we are already running ahead of that rate. And we should hit 200 million in just a couple of weeks. Now, a number of states this week, including Connecticut, Florida, Ohio and others, announcing they are widely opening up eligibility for adults to get vaccinated to not just those over the age of 65. So right now, here's a look at exactly where we stand in the rollout. 173 million delivered, 133 million administered, 87.3 million people getting at least one dose with nearly 50 million being fully vaccinated. That's about 18% of the population of those who are older than 18. So adults continue to march toward these key numbers for inoculation. In meantime, Amazon is ramping up its efforts to get its own workers vaccinated right in their own workplace. A tech giant rolling out a series of on-site clinics across America. Bertha's back with more details on that. Bertha, how does this work and does it come with your prime membership? <laughs> no, but it does help workers get it during their prime working hours. Amazon launching its first worksite vaccination site at its St. Louis Fulfillment Center yesterday afternoon. The In January, Amazon had originally appealed to the Biden administration for access to vaccine supply to vaccinate its 1.4 million workers. But like other employers, it's had to go state by state to get doses. About a thousand workers signed up for shots at the Missouri Clinic, which runs through Monday. I've gotten exhausted with talking through the mask and talking through um, the plastic. Just everything has just been chaotic. I really want to get COVID shots so that I can get back to normal. That's what everyone wants. And Amazon's seeing good demand for clinics set for Nevada and Kansas in the coming weeks. We are really encouraged by the um, early uh, enrollments that we've seen for the on-site appointments. I think with our large employee base that we have at our fulfillment centers, we're able to get a large number of people vaccinated pretty quickly. Now, about 25 states at this point are giving employers supply for worksite clinics. Initially, it's been for manufacturers and automakers, meat packers like Cargill and Tyson. As more supply is coming online, the rate, the pace is now picking up. And in areas like Detroit and Will County, Illinois, outside of Chicago, they've now opened it up to any company with 100 workers or more. But Amazon and most employers are not requiring vaccination. So, Brian, this is a thing of they're getting access, but they also have to convince workers to do it. And they're hoping that these early vaccine adopters will help motivate those that are maybe a little hesitant. Yeah, and I, I believe legally, I mean, they can't. Rutgers saying that they're going to require students to get vaccine. Uh, I would imagine that's going to have some legal challenges 
ahead of the fall. But what's amazing, Bert, that I'm sure you just talk to your friends and family. There are some areas where you can just walk in, get a shot. They got plenty of doses. There's other areas where people on Twitter say, I still can't even get an appointment. I mean, remember, this is a state-run operation, and states are very different. Wherever you may, even counties and cities are so different from each other. Well, I mean, for for employers, it's they are literally going county by county and talking to them to get vaccine access. And so they're now starting to get it as we've got about, you know, one and a half dozen over the next yeah. week or two who that are opening it up so widely. They didn't want employers to be jumping the line. So as the eligibility becomes wider, they're now working with employers to give them that access. Because for a lot of workers it's, who are on the front yeah. lines, it's tough to take that extra time to go get a shot offsite. Absolutely, it is. You got you to bring it to the people. I saw in Detroit yesterday, they basically said they sent out a note. We've got extra doses. Come to the, to the dome where the Detroit Lions play and, and get your shot if you have not already. Bertha Coombs, we'll see you in a few minutes. Bertha, thank you. All right, on deck. Could the blockage now take weeks? The latest on that massive ship stuck in the Suez and sinking a huge chunk of global trade with it. Today's big number, $9.6 billion. That's what the blockage in the Suez Canal is costing per day in lost trade. According to Lloyd's List Maritime Intelligence, that's about $400 million per hour. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. The ship could be stuck for weeks. The massive ever-given container ship, one of the biggest of its kind in the world, remains literally stuck in the mud in the Suez Canal since it grounded on Tuesday. It is creating a big backlog for ships in one of the world's most important waterways and a big headache for global supply chains. Efforts are still underway to get the ship unstuck. But some involved in the effort saying it could now take weeks, not days, to free the Ever Given because not only is the front of the ship stuck so deep, but because it is lodged sideways in the narrow canal and options are limited. Think of your car in a very narrow spot, parallel parked, with a car right in front of it and right behind it. It's almost impossible to move to get out. And the only way to unload those containers would be by helicopter. Now, shippers are getting desperate, and some have begun rerouting their boats, including some tankers full of liquefied natural gas. I can confirm to you right now that two customer ships for U.S. LNG company Chenier have rerouted from the Gulf of Mexico past the Suez and instead are going to go around the Cape of Good Hope in America. They're not Chenier ships, but they are loaded with Chenier's LNG bought by customers. Let's talk more about all of this with Philip Edge. He is the CEO of Edge Worldwide Logistics. 
His company, Bookspace, on ships, currently has cargo stuck on the Ever Given and on surrounding boats. Philip, this is not something we talk about or even think about on a daily basis. Something like this has never actually occurred. We've had other issues in the Suez, but nothing like this. How significant is this situation to global supply chains? Well, it's huge. I mean, if you look at the European market, everything from the Indian subcontinent, Asia, Australia, everything to and from that market passes through the Suez Canal. If that stops and you have to start going around Africa, you're going to have basically the best part of two to three weeks of no arrivals, no arrivals into Europe and no arrivals into those other markets, India, Asia, Australia, that are coming the other way either. I mean, it's, it's a massive, massive problem. And are you or your customers hearing anything from the shipping companies to the Suez Canal Authority officials about when there might be some movement in the canal? Very little, really. I mean, the last thing that we heard is they're going to have a big effort, I think, this weekend with a high tide to try and refloat the vessel. But the way it's stuck, I mean, we have seen a couple of similar things with grounded vessels before, and it can take you know, at least a week to freedom. But the way it's stuck, I, you, you just don't know. You just don't know how long it's going to last. And some big decisions need to be made because people are just simply going to run out of stock. So beware. Do you start sending cargo by air? Do you start rerouting vessels? You, you, you just don't know at the moment. But hopefully, you know, the sooner it's resolved, the better. But it's already starting to have big ramifications. Yeah, we're showing the size of the ship. I mean, it's taller. It's longer than the Eiffel Tower is tall. And and it's basically stuck sideways in that canal with very limited options. So you and your customers, Philip, have got kind of, you know, just like our viewers who know there's a traffic jam ahead. Their, their, their GPS says long delays. But the other option is to take a 100-mile reroute that is open. Would you advise your customers to say, you know what? It's a lot longer and it's a lot more expensive. But let's just do the 5- to 10-day trip around Africa and don't sit in that line because even when they open it back up, you're going to have hundreds of ships ahead of you that have to creep through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this weekend is going to be really, really critical to the effort because if they can't move it by dred- you know, using the dredges and the tugboats, if they have to start unloading fuel, ballast water, containers, that is a huge, the containers particularly, that is an enormous job and there's very little equipment in the world that can do it. And the minute you start having to do that to try and free the vessel, it will take weeks. So if, if it's not moved back this weekend with the, high, with the high tides, I'll be certainly saying that, yes, you know, look at the option around Africa because it will take a long, long time to clear that vessel. Yeah, but at least you can get there. And a lot is, Philip, as you noted, there, there is going to be an unusually high tide this weekend. There is a lot of hope riding on Mother Nature to help lift that ship up out of the mud and get it freed. Philip Edge, Edge Worldwide Logistics. Philip, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right, now let's stay on the story and see how this is impacting not just global trade, but the shipping companies themselves. The Suez sees almost 10 billion in goods pass through it every single day. And with this complete stoppage in one of the world's most important shipping channels, it is costing effectively about $400 million per hour in delays. Now, most of the stuff that is stuck on the ships are goods heading from Asia to China, like Ducati motorcycles and Heineken beer, real-world examples. But this is also a huge oil route, and oil prices are on the rise as expected delays force refiners to buy oil on the stock market 
because their oil simply never got there. But as much as this is a headache for many, it may be a big money maker for some ship owners who are now seeing their ships that aren't stuck in the Suez trade for big dollars. Let's bring in Randy Givens. He is senior analyst and group head of the Energy Maritime Shipping Equity Research Group at Jefferies. Randy, I know it's real early there, but we appreciate it. A big story. It affects the container ships. That is largely those in the tankers who you cover. In a weird way, is this good for some of the shipping companies? Hey, Brian. Yeah, good morning, and thanks for having me. It absolutely is. And as we discussed the first time I came on about a year ago with the China Costco sanctions, and then again a few months later when that missile attacked the ship in the Arabian Gulf, right? When you see these kind of weather events or vessels being attacked or ships stuck in a canal, all of that, that dislocation is good for shipping, right? It extends your ton mile demand, the distance you need to travel to take a commodity from a producing region to a consuming region. And we've already seen tight markets, right? You're seeing record rates across the container industry for companies like Zim, a liner company, the container ship industry, those who own those vessels like a Denaus or a Global Ship Lease. But now you're seeing those effects on all sectors, right? Even dry bulk, for example, and Eagle Bulk Shipping, Genco, Starbulk, they're all benefiting from a shortage now of ships who are either getting stuck in or near the Suez Canal or more tightness in the supply because ships, as you mentioned, have to go around South Africa, adding another 10 days. And especially for tankers, right? The Suez Canal is a major route from the Arabian Gulf into Western Europe. So that dislocation is really boosting Suez Max rates, LR2 rates, and even VOCC rates, because now that vessel that goes always around South Africa is even more popular because the Suez Canal is stopped. So the tanker names, Euronav, International Seaways, Scorpio tankers, all of them are being boosted by this, right? In the share price as well as in the rates. About six weeks ago, I was down in Charleston, South Carolina. We were talking, Randy, about the container shortage and the amount of inbound trade from China, not just to the U.S., but to Europe. And for our viewers, I mean, these are not ships that are sitting around like taxis at LaGuardia Airport, of course, during normal times, waiting for business. There is much more demand than supply. You've now got at last count 200, it's probably more than that now, ships just sitting at anchor, kind of waiting. Do we, do we wait? Do we go through the Suez? Do we just say, forget about it? There's the, we're showing the dots. Every one of those dots is a ship, either a container ship or a tanker, right? So this was already playing in to an incredibly tight supply for ships, right? So this is just, I don't know if it's gravy or terrible news. If you want to charter a ship, it's terrible news. If you own a ship, it's probably great news as long as your ships aren't sitting there. Absolutely. And for the few ships, you know, I say few, 200, right? Not really few. But for those ships that are stuck, they're still getting what we call demurrage, basically a penalty rate for your ship not moving. Paid to wait. Especially the ships that are not stuck are really benefiting. And we've seen congestion before, and similar congestion, obviously not to this extent, but with the Panama Canal, right, a lot of vessels going to and through that in the west coast of California, right, you can just go look off of L.A. and Long Beach, and there are container ships lined up as far as the eye can see. Same in China. And why is that? Well, right now, everyone's staying at home. And if you don't spend your $1,000 a month on travel and concerts and going out to eat, you're spending it on Pelotons and furniture and appliances and clothes. All of that is coming from Asia, right? Into the U.S. West Coast, into Houston down here, 
U.S. East Coast, Charleston, all the way to Europe. So because of that, you have more and more ships going faster and faster all across the world, and especially through these canals. And people are stressed. People are pressed for time. So you can see how something like this could happen. So you you threw out a few of the names. Just quickly reiterate, who are some of the best position stock names right now, Randy? Absolutely, yeah. So for container ships, we've been liking and still like now, Denaus Corporation, ticker DAC, Global Ship Lease, GSL, they own the largest container ships in the world. Now, Zim is a liner who they're operating those containers, right? They're the ones actually taking the revenue for each individual box, ticker ZIM. And then on the tanker side, you're looking at a Scorpio Tankers, STNG, Euronav, EURN, and International Seaways, ticker INSW. All of them operating very large food carriers, or on Sting's example, they're moving diesel, jet fuel, gasoline, those products that are needed right, for demand for end users. And lastly, on the dry bulk side, Starbulk, SBLK, Eagle Bulk, EGLE, and Genco Shipping, GNK, all are going to benefit from this congestion and higher rates. Got it. Some great stuff there, some actionable names, no doubt, in a situation that will keep you and your team nice and busy over the weekend, Randy. Congratulations. Randy Gibbons of Jeffries. Randy, thank you very much. Get some coffee or go back to bed. Randy, thank you. (laughs) All right, on deck, the consumer set to boom in a way that we have never seen before. The data that is Bank of America seeing green and a big prediction on the job market you're going to want to hear. Shell Myers here. We're going to be right back after this. Dow futures up exactly 100. Will it be a moneymaker Friday? Futures are higher. Consumer optimism continues to boom. Tiffany McGee is here to lay out the names you need to know, plus the top five biggest insider buys of the last two weeks. Celebrity chef and entrepreneur David Burke is here with not only reopening some of his restaurants, but why he's doubling down and opening up new ones. And the Magic Kingdom, getting a little more magical. Disney actually looking to expand its California park after a year of being shut down. So grab your coffee. Let's get going. It is Friday, March 26th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get right to it, shall we, and see how your money is shaping up on this final trading day of the week and looking pretty good right now. Futures are higher across the board. Dow futures up just about exactly 100 points. It follows a pretty nice turnaround on Thursday. Now, we opened up week. We were down across the board. We bottomed out around 11 o'clock Eastern time. Buyers started to come in, and we ended up higher. As we said, not a lot, not making a huge amount of the gains, but it was more of the turnaround that made people feel a little more optimistic coming into today. And we are seeing that reflected right now in the futures. Well, it is, of course, Friday. Friday, right? It's Friday. And I'm back. So that means your weekly insider buying segment is back, where we show you the five companies whose insiders are buying the most of their own stock with their own money. And today is a very special Friday, like a lifetime after school special, because we're not just doing one week. We're doing two weeks. 
So these are actually the top five most bought insider stocks over two weeks. Ready? Here we go. Stock number five, Microsoft. Board member Emma Walmsley buying 4,300 shares worth just over a million dollars. The name may sound familiar because she is also the CEO of GlaxoSmithKline. Stock number four, Lionsgate Entertainment, the B shares. A board member buying one and a half million worth the film studio. By the way, continuing a big run of buying that he has been doing according to InsiderScore.com, which is bringing us with our thanks this data. The third most insider buying, Apartment Investment and Management, or better known, thankfully, as AIMCO, ticker AIV. A board member there buying $1.7 million worth of that stock. Stock number two, second most insider buying, Dropbox, DBX. A board member buying $2.5 million worth of that stock. And this is, according to Insider Score, that person's first buy since joining the board a couple of years ago. So pay attention to DBX. And the most insider buying over the last two weeks is Thrive Holdings, THRV. The CEO, Joe Walsh, no, not the singer, stepping up big time and buying $3.7 million worth of that stock, increasing an already sizable holding. Also of note, a day after this buy, Walsh, the CEO, also spent 850000 to exercise and hold some stock options. Who is Thrive? Well, they are a digital and print marketing business. You may know them as the owner of yellowpagesandsuperpages.com. Thrive, big insider buy and an options trade on top of it. We've got our eyes on you, Thrive. So there you go. The top five insider buys of the last two weeks, Microsoft, Lionsgate, Aimco, Dropbox, and Thrive. And of course, these stocks, we've been bringing them to you, not every week, but when we can. I've been kind of moving around, I know. I've been outperforming the broader market. A reminder, we're going to try to do that, try to do this for you every Friday exclusively right here only on Worldwide Exchange. All right. We are in, quote, it just got real territory. So says your next guest. And that may mean you may want to look to buy the stocks of makers of real things like furniture. Let's bring in Tiffany McGee, CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Normally, Tiffany, when I hear the phrase, it just got real, it's usually got another word uh, in the middle of it, which I can't say on TV. And it's a bad thing. You know, the blank just got yeah. real. So you mean it in a you mean right. it in a good way. What does it mean? Well, I mean it in an interesting way. So first, you know, we've as I'm sure you've been talking on the show, just about all the volatility in in the market, right? I mean, it's like every single day there are headlines and it's almost like the market has whiplash, right? And so I think we need to put a couple things in perspective. First of all, you know, the recession that we just had was the shortest recession in history, right? It was only two months from peak to trough. And it doesn't feel like it was the shortest recession in history because I think we really, really felt this one. But it was the shortest one in all of U.S. history, right? And so, as, as a matter of fact, the only other, uh, the, the closest shortest recession was seven months, right? And that happened, uh, I think it was like, um, gosh, uh, 1918 was like, was, uh, was, like the, was the last shortest recession. So 
the shortest recession, but also the shortest recovery in our history. So when you look at the fact that that whole like kind of business cycle, right, uh, has been accelerated, it makes sense that stocks are also rapidly repricing. So that's really what's going on here. And as we kind of mm-hmm. look at our firm uh, in terms of like what's you know what we should be buying, yes, we do like real things, right? So kind of uh, taking you back, Brian, to kind of pre-pandemic 2020, when everybody was talking about the Amazon effect and how retail and you know m- might might be kind of like going uh, going away and uh, and those kinds of things. Experience mm-hmm. was. Um, experiential retail experiences were really the thing. So luxury, things like RH, RH just reported restoration hardware. Yes, very expensive. Um, I do like the outlet um, RH stores, but they're focused on restaurants, right? They open these galleries, if you will. So it's not just buying furniture, it's the entire experience. I put LVMH in there as well too, luxury goods. Uh, And then of course, Brian Target, um, a staple, but Target uh-huh. is an experience. So it sounds like it's it's uh, it's almost maybe we should call it the pampering trade in a way, Tiffany. I mean, and by the way, I, we not could, a commercial. We I love Restoration Hardware's cloud couches. I can't afford them, but I just hang out at their outlets as well. Sleep on it for like an hour. They finally kicked me out. I mean, so you're saying we're going to pamper ourselves? Maybe get some new furniture. We're coming out of this. We want to feel good. It's been a hell of a year for many people and many industries. Is it? Is this kind of the treat yourself well trade? It's the treat yourself well trade, but not just treat yourself well with the products. It's treat yourself well with the experience of buying the products. So for the past year, we've been buying things online. Right. So think about all the people that that have been buying homes and yes, they've also been buying furniture. But now, as we look to kind of come out of this still kind of quarantine environment, we want to walk through the store. We want to have lunch at the rooftop of of uh, an RH gallery. Right. So we want to go in and buy, you know, um, uh, an LVMH leather good in the store. And it's really about the experience. Yeah, it is. And maybe the experience of making some money as well, Tiffany. It sounds like you're not spooked by some of these delays. You know, you go on any of these websites, you want to buy a new couch. It's like, well, delivery in mid-June. That doesn't bother you. That's a good problem, I guess. Yeah. Listen, it is a good problem to have. um, And we're just going to kind of keep our fingers crossed. Uh, I love, actually, (laughs) the RH Cloud. Um, They're extremely expensive. uh, But I would really suggest that you hang around the outlets because you can really get a good yeah. deal. And by the way, you can yeah. hang out the outlet, buy a couch, and then watch Love actually on that. You see what I did there? You said Love, and then I said, <laughs> I'm okay, Spider. No, it's anyway. I see that. I those see couches that. are spectacular. I got to say, I mean, you see what they're, I did there? No, they're Tiffany great. McGee, they're thank great. you very much. Yes. The, 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 <laughs> they, they really, we just gave RH a free commercial. Oh, no, I love we'll them. See what happens they're my with favorite. The stock. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany, thank you very much. Oh, with those cloud couches, Thanks, I'm, I'm just saying they are. I don't know what's in them, but they're, they're amazing. Cool. All right, Tiffany, thank you. We'll see you soon. All right, take care. All right, coming up, speaking of treating yourself well, how about just treating yourself? Chef and entrepreneur David Burke is here on reopening and opening up new restaurants even during the lockdowns. He's here in minutes. But before we get to David, 
Let's get some of your other top stories on this Friday. Sources telling CNBC Robinhood is building a platform that would allow users to buy into IPOs the way Wall Street does before shares of the listed companies begin trading. Disney is considering or announcing plans to expand its properties in California. Company looking to add attractions across the street from its current park and is discussing options with local officials. You go, Anaheim. And if you want a new truck, at least a Ford, you might have to wait. Ford is idling production of its F-150 pickup at a Michigan plant through Sunday. The reason? That global semiconductor supply shortage that we've been talking to you so much about. Stay tuned. We're watching Worldwide Exchange. Dow Futures up 77, and we are back. David Burke, right after this. Welcome back. Well, no industry was hit harder during the lockdowns than hospitality, travel, leisure, and dining all decimated, millions losing their jobs as nobody left their homes. Governments shut down many businesses or entire industries. But as hard as it's been on many, others see it as an opportunity to try to build back and hire workers who have lost their jobs. Chef David Burke is doing just that, doubling down and opening up four new eateries over the past year. He is the head of David Burke Hospitality Management with more than one dozen spots to his name and one of the most famous chefs and entrepreneurs in the world in hospitality. David, we appreciate you joining us. I know you're getting up early. Listen, a lot of the viewers right now that are maybe getting a coffee on their treadmill, whatever it is on the East Coast, they live in New Jersey. They know you. They know your restaurants. Why invest now opening up new restaurants and places like Rumson and, and East Brunswick? I know you're a Jersey guy, too. Hey, good morning, Brian. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we found that there was opportunity. You know, we had we had infrastructure, have a great team in place. Uh, we were poised to uh, expand anyway, uh, and we continued to uh, to grow. You know, we had, uh, other opportunities landed in our lap during the pandemic, and we took them. Some of them got uh, uh, sidelined and delayed, and we expedited them. Um, and we felt the opportunity was right to continue to stay in the game and work hard. And uh, we planted seeds for the future. Uh, a lot of the, re- the things we opened didn't uh, show us any cash flow yet. But uh, as the weather changes and the vaccine uh, uh, starts to be implemented, it, it seems to be uh, that we're going to have a good future. You know, and again, I've I've been one of the few that has been on the road, David. I've been traveling, not extensively, but enough, been to 15 or 17 states, you know, in the last six to nine months. And I've had the opportunity to see other places and everything, of course, has become political. I'm not going to ask you to wade into that, but the difference is very striking. There are states where it's 100 percent full, 100 percent capacity. Restaurants are packed. You wouldn't even know anything was going on. New Jersey, I'll give the governor credit, remained open when many neighboring states did not. We're still at 35 percent, I think, maybe going to 50 percent here in capacity. What have you seen is not only the difference in how you operate because you're in different states, but in the attitude of your customers? Uh, That's uh, a great point, Brian. New York City, we got crushed. And we, there was no communication, and we, we really got the wind knocked out of ourselves. We still remain closed in New York. We had three properties, four properties. Three of them will reopen, um, uh, but not quite yet. New Jersey, we did get open for the summer. I give Murphy credit for that compared to what happened in New York. He did a great job. Uh, so we were able to have cash flow. We were able to employ people. We were able to feed people that needed help, uh, first responders and uh, and uh 
people and people in need. In New York, we weren't even able to help people because we had no cash flow whatsoever. So we uh, so there was a big difference between those two states. We're opening in Charlotte. Charlotte was okay. Uh, we had we had some uh, some some a, a little more uh, a little quicker recovery there for an opening standpoint, and uh, we continue to grow there. But it was it was uh, it, it's just disappointing to be able to see some states stayed open, thriving, both schools and businesses, and to see what happened in New York and in New Jersey without uh, us being open uh, and Murphy opening us uh, for uh, the 25, which I believe now is 50 percent, we would have been out of business. Yeah, and I know it's it's not a profitable time, but at least restaurant owners I talk to, David, say they can at least, you know, make 65 percent of their costs are fixed rent, insurance, payroll, whatever it is. They can make those as well. And I, I know this because I've tried to make I, I've been going out to eat. I've made, tried to make reservations. My biggest problem is getting a reservation now. How busy are you, especially at 35 percent capacity? I got to imagine you're seeing People say, well, don't go out to eat. It's dangerous. There was a study that says 1.4% of infections were traced back to restaurants in New York. I mean, we can debate it all day long. It's not a huge number. Are you seeing people willing to go out, especially as the vaccines have rolled out? The, we opened uh, Orchard Park by David Burke in East Brunswick about four months ago. And uh, it's a very large space and, and beautiful. And... Uh, People came out, you know, we had to hold people back from coming out because we did social distance. We have a large space. The bar isn't open. Of course, the outdoor dining isn't open yet. Uh, as of the change from three or four months ago is noticeable as we opened Rumson uh, two days ago. <clears throat> uh, that's called um, Red Horse. And and people, it's mostly optics now and how comfortable it looks and how much the procedures you're keeping in place. But I haven't heard the, the word uh uh, coronavirus or pandemic or social distance in my restaurants for the last month or so now that people are getting vaccines, et cetera. I think it's time to get uh, get out and eat. And I think the timing with the weather and, uh, and, and other changes, I think people are ready to get out for the most part. And that's a great sign for us. Opening the bars, I hope they get open sometime uh, before summer. Yeah. <clears throat> will be great for us because the profit margin in the bar is much higher than well, I look forward to seeing you maybe at Orchard Park or at Beach House or Ventana's at the Modern well, uh, or Sun Cubana, which is up near CNBC's headquarters. David yeah. Burke, a real pleasure yeah. to have you on. Good luck to you and your team. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. David Burke opening up a new place in Rumson just a couple of days ago. All right. And I'm told by little birds that it's hard to get into. All right. On deck. The U.S. set to gain big momentum. In fact, Bank of America's Michelle Meyer is here to lay out a job prediction that you have got to hear. I thought I was bullish. Wait till you hear Michelle's prediction. And by the way, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. If you missed the show for any reason, I don't know, maybe you're sleeping in because you went to one of David's restaurants last night. That's fine. You get in your car, turn on the podcast, and, you know, listen. Dow Futures up 90. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Well, American consumer spending is about to take off in a big way, maybe in a way so big that we have not seen it before. Just ask Bank of America. Their research team out with new forecasts for American growth, and it's not only some good news, 
But the bank now says that U.S. growth could average 7% by the end of the year, 5.5% next year. And it's not just all about stimulus. It is more about the consumer and a jobs recovery. Let us bring in now Michelle Meyer, head of U.S. economics at Bank of America Global Research. And Michelle, you know, we've tried to be optimistic. Goodness knows people need a little optimism over the past year, right? People, why are you being optimistic? Mm -hmm. Why not? Because it feels good. I thought I was optimistic with my 5% unemployment rate call by the end of the year. Not that anybody cares what I think, but your team is even more bullish. Why? Yeah, we've turned uh, really, really positive on the economy. And, and frankly, we have now for some time since the fall of last year, we've been um, looking for pretty uh, strong growth this year and just increasingly have become more convinced of it. And as you noted, we're now looking for 7% GDP growth this year, 4.5% on a rate by the end of the year. And there's a key reason why. It's the consumer. Um, the data that we're tracking on the consumer is extraordinarily positive. And we think we're on the cusp of seeing very uh, um, significant gains in consumer spending for the month of March. Yeah, we showed a little uh, a graphic with a lot of words, but let, forget about We don't want to read at 550. Why don't you tell us what it says? What is your credit card data showing you? Yeah, so that's exactly right. We are, we are monitoring aggregated spend on Bank America credit and debit card data, which is an incredible resource to understand the turning points in the consumer in real time. And what it shows is that March was a very strong month. So the first two weeks of the month, um, showed an acceleration of spending quite nicely. And then the most recent data, which includes the period that stimulus checks were distributed, shows extraordinary spending, particularly for lower income consumers and their spending across the board. I mean, we saw impressive gains in furniture spending online, electronics, things that people were worried demand would have been exhausted for, still out spending. Um, clothing picked up quite nicely as well. That's probably more a function of people, you know, perhaps going back out, the reopening story starting to play in. And then there's restaurant, there's travel. So then there's the broader spending that's also happening upon reopening. And that's the next real leg for consumer spending, right? Now it's the stimulus funds, they're being pumped in. But as we look ahead, as the economy reopens more broadly, given the conversation you were just having in terms of people going back out to restaurants and the, and the like, that's yeah. going to then accelerate the economy. So we are, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we unfortunately did a segment a couple of days ago, Michelle, on how much weight a lot of people have gained under the lockdowns and maybe they need some new clothes to go with it. But you are seeing a direct tie between stimulus check announcements and direct spending, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of cash that is pouring into the economy and um, you could debate the marginal propensity to spend out of it. You know, th there's a lot of questions of how much is put into savings to pay down debt to be spent. But just the dollar amount is so significant for yeah. those that are receiving the stimulus checks, particularly because they are lower income. They're more budget constrained and they're spending the money. Well, let's not debate the marginal propensity to spend. Let's just say the results look like it's good news for the American consumer and economy, which we like good news. To end the show on a Friday, Michelle Meyer, thank you very much. You got it, Brian. Thank you. All right. You're very welcome. And that does it for us. Ending on a little bit of good news there. We can all use it heading into the weekend. Have a great weekend, everybody. Dow Futures up 100. I'll actually see you on Squawk in about an hour talking to Suez. But the gang picking up the coverage next. Take care.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 